right, it's another week. This is Andrew Wood, Executive Director of Hope Resource Center. Thank you so much for tuning in, whether that be live over at Joy620 or you're listening to the podcast at investinghope.com, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Podbean, wherever podcasts are found. You can find this show. This week we have uh, some things, some important things to talk about as we continue to look at abortion uh, right here in Knoxville and around the country. And so we're going to start at a, a piece over at uh, National Review that's discussing uh, some interesting policies put in place in Oregon uh, concerning abortion and leave. And so let's start there. City councils in Portland, Oregon and Boston have recently launched new policies permitting city employees to take paid leave after having an abortion. In Boston, the city council amended its paid uh, parental leave policy to include employees suffering from pregnancy loss. This might sound as though the policy applies to parents who lost a child after a stillbirth or miscarriage. But in fact, the policy also includes parents who experience a quote-unquote termination. In other words, those who have had an abortion. Whether or not one supports abortion, it's rather bizarre to extend parental leave to individuals or couples who chose abortion expressly so as to avoid being parents. Portland City Council did much of the same thing last year, amending its bereavement leave policy to allow city employees to take time off after pregnancy loss, including abortion. Quote, it's important to recognize that employees need time to address their reproductive health needs, and they may need time to process what they're experiencing. End quote. Andrea Miller, president of the National Institute for Reproductive Health, told Oregon Public News. Miller called the policy a really important step forward, adding that it could help destigmatize abortion. While it's certainly true that many women experience negative physical and mental consequences following an abortion procedure, this policy uh, is discordant coming from those who support abortion. If we were to acknowledge that a mother and father are bereaved after an abortion, presumably something, indeed someone, has been lost. And if we acknowledge that in every abortion someone is lost, intentionally done away with, then it makes little sense to destigmatize the procedure and extend bereavement leave to those who have intentionally chosen to do away with their child. Now, of course, if, if, if somebody has a miscarriage or uh, had every intention of, of having their baby and something happened and they had, a, they had to give birth to a, a, a dead baby or they had a miscarriage or stillbirth or, or whatever it may be, of course we should have policies in place that allow them to, to take time. Of course we should uh, surround them with, with support and comfort. The interesting thing that they're doing with these policies are they are including abortion. And so that's not a miscarriage. That's not uh, uh, something tragic happening and, and the baby dying. That is purposely choosing with intent to end the pregnancy. And, and for years we've heard that, look, there's no lasting ramifications. There's no issue. Uh, there's no lingering effects of having an abortion. And they certainly wouldn't say that there, there was a loss of life. Because they say it's not a life. It's not a human. It's not a baby. We don't want to humanize the fetus. We want, to, uh, we want to make sure that we use the phrases and words that we need to use so that you know we're not talking about a life being lost via abortion. But when you start giving paid leave, bereavement, and, and, and the like, 
to those that choose abortion, then what you're saying is with your policy, you're saying that they need to take time off to bereave. They need to take time off to mourn the loss of something. So it's an interesting dilemma for the abortion industry to say that that abortion has no lasting effects. That abortion is not ending the life of a human. That abortion is just reproductive health and a choice for a woman. It puts them in a dilemma when they then say, but this woman now needs to take some time off to, to mourn because of the experience that she had. Well, what is, what is she mourning? I thought there was no lasting side effects. Why, why, is she, why, does, why do they need time off? Now, I know... And we know at Hope that there are certainly lasting effects of an abortion. Mental effects, physical effects. Women that, that are spend, women and men that spend years and years and years seeking healing because of the decision that was made. But you see, the abortion industry doesn't see it that way. But when they start going down this path, of, of policies that allow for time off, then they start to use language that would sound as if they are saying a life was lost. So the question is, is, was a life lost or not? And if a life was lost, are we okay with that? Are we okay with someone choosing intentionally to end the life of another? I mean, our culture says no. If I killed somebody today, there's not a policy in place that says, well, because he, he's dealing with the loss of that life, he, he needs some time off. No, of course not. But we have this weird situation when it, when it comes to abortion. And we talked about this last week with the prenatal testing, that, that close to 90% of those tests are wrong. And women were having abortions based on these tests that are wrong 90% of the time. That's sad. That's terrible. And so in the process of the abortion industry, trying to, to act as if they care deeply about folks. And again, if someone has a miscarriage or, or has a stillbirth or something tragic happens... Absolutely, that family should take some time. I have no issue with that. And I would say most of the public, most of the populace, pro-life or pro-choice, would have no issue with that. But, but in that process of, of putting these policies out, you have folks that are saying, it's not a life, abortion has no lasting effects, abortion is, is a right, and it's just reproductive health. That's all it is. Well, it's hard to say that and then say that someone has an abortion and they deserve time off to mourn. Well, what are they, what are they doing with that time off? What are they mourning? Because I, I thought it didn't involve a life. I thought it was just a blob, just a clump of cells. But now you're telling me that, that in getting rid of the clump of cells, they deserve time off to, uh, for bereavement. You see, it, it doesn't make any sense. 
But it doesn't make any sense because the, the, the mindset of abortion doesn't make any sense. The freest country on the planet allowing for babies to, to have their lives ended in the womb by choice, that doesn't make any sense. Many of our laws in place don't make any sense. In New York, they, they actually changed the law so that if a woman is pregnant and wants to have her baby and is attacked, even attacked by the baby daddy, he's so angry because he doesn't want that baby. If he attacks and kills the baby in the womb, he's not charged with murder. Why? Because they dehumanized the fetus in New York. Illinois did the same thing. And in that case, in many of those cases, the woman wanted her baby. She saw it as a child. She probably had a nursery set up, was preparing to be a mom. And if someone takes that away from her and they're not even charged with murder, there was actually a case in New York where a woman was pregnant. She was killed. And before that law was passed, the man that killed her was charged with two murders because he killed her and her baby. After that law was passed, the prosecution had to remove the charge of murder for the, the unborn child. And so he was only charged with one murder. How's that make sense? You see, so, so as we go down this path, many of these policies, many of, of the conversations that are had around abortion, what's going to start to happen is the, the pro-choice, pro-abortion side are going to start to show really what they, what they believe, that, that there is no denying that it's a life. There's now abortion support groups that are that are non-christian that the abortion industry is starting to say maybe we do need some post-abortive care well why do you need post-abortive care i thought again there was no lasting effects what's well, because they can't deny it anymore they can't deny the fact that it does have lasting effects on these women and on these men certainly on the baby that had its life taken You see, it's, it's often taboo to talk about the abortion issue. Nobody wants to talk about it. It makes people uncomfortable. And there's a lot of people that are passionate on one side or the other. But, but as a civilized society, we should be able to have these conversations. Because if, if it is taking a life, which we know it is, that requires something of us. And so, so as we see these policies play out, we don't have to be hateful. We don't have to be uh, angry or anything like that. We can just simply have conversations and ask the right questions and say, well, how does that make sense? If it's not a life in the womb, why do people need to take time off to, to mourn what happened? That's a logical, rational question. 
But that means somebody in that, in that room, as they were having that conversation about the policy, somebody brought up and said, this policy needs to cover those that are having a miscarriage or those that are having a stillbirth. And everybody, I'm sure, said, absolutely. We need to, we need to allow for time for those moms, for those dads that are dealing with a miscarriage or stillbirth, a tragic situation. We need to allow for time for that. And then somebody in the room said, you know what? When someone chooses an abortion, it has lasting effects too. And that means the people in the room said, yeah, you're right. You're right. So, so my question is, why didn't anyone say, well, well, hold on. Why does it have lasting effects? I thought it was a clump of cells or a blob of tissue. What are they mourning? But you see, they, they can't do that because if somebody is mourning a miscarriage, that means we're recognizing the fact that they believe a baby was in the womb, that they were going to have a baby. You see, so when it's a miscarriage, we, we say 100% that's a baby, they wanted that baby. But if the baby's not wanted and someone wants to get an abortion, then we go, it's not a baby, it's not a human, it's just a blob. But when someone wants the baby and the baby dies in the womb, it's a tragic situation. You see, you can't do both of those. It's either a blob and has no meaning, or it's a life and has meaning. It doesn't change whose belly it's in. It doesn't change because of whose womb it's in. Whether you have a miscarriage or an abortion, a life was lost. That's the reality. And so we know that, we believe that, but the abortion industry have been, have been spending years and years and years trying to control the narrative and the language behind it, and now they're starting to lose ground because of technology and because of a generation coming up that, that, that has been able to see their siblings grow inside the womb because of ultrasound. So it's no longer easy to just say it's a blob of cells, we don't know what's in there. No, we know what's in there. We're now able to do surgery in the womb. We're given uh, pain medicine to the fetus in the womb. Why? Because they feel pain. And we want to protect them. If you go to Dollywood and you're pregnant, they say you can't ride this ride. Why? Because it would be dangerous for the baby growing inside of you. When you look at medication and they say you can't take this if you're pregnant. Why? Because it would be dangerous... For the life growing inside of you. You see, we, we put protections in place to protect babies in the womb, yet we allow for 3,000 abortions every single day. Makes no sense. We'll talk more when we come back. And it's a great day to be alive. I know the sun's still shining when I close my eyes. There's some hard times in the And that is one of my favorites. That's Travis Tritt. Great day to be alive. That was popular when I was in high school. And, uh, you know, it was interesting the other day that song came on the radio and my son started singing. My son's 10 and he started singing along every word. And I was like, how do you know? How do you know that song? Uh, and he said, well, I was I was listening to country music on Alexa and that song came on and I really liked it. And I just told her to repeat it over and over and over. And I thought, see, you know, there's just some songs that stand the test of time. And that's one of them. And so great stuff. Uh, it is a great day to be alive. That is the truth. As we continue the conversation, uh, there, there's a, a piece over at Vox. Now, uh, if you've ever read Vox, anything at Vox.com, they, they certainly don't lean 
uh, conservative, but uh, but it is interesting because they they are talking about uh, some new cases that are coming up concerning uh, abortion that that may find their ways to the court. And and the I will say this: the the abortion industry uh, believe that Roe v. Wade is going to be overturned. Uh, they they believe the writing is on the wall, and uh, and so it's interesting to see pieces like this. It says by all outward signs, Roe v. Wade is on its deathbed. In December, the Supreme Court effectively insulated a Texas law that bans abortions after the sixth week of pregnancy. Uh, then, at oral arguments in Dobbs v. Jackson Women's Health Organization, a majority of the justices appeared eager to drastically roll back abortion rights and perhaps even to overrule Roe explicitly. A decision in Dobbs is expected by late June. That leaves the right to an abortion in limbo. Technically, decisions like Roe and Planned Parenthood v. Casey, which weakened Roe somewhat but retained core protections for abortion, remain good law. Uh, that's the, the author saying that, not me saying that. And many state anti-abortion laws are currently blocked by court orders that rely on Roe and Casey. But those court orders are unlikely to survive the year and could, end, or could very well all be lifted this summer in the likely event that Dobbs overrules or drastically curtails Roe and Casey. Arizona's Republican Attorney General Mark uh, Burnovich, however, apparently doesn't have the patience to let this process play out. In early December, uh, the Attorney General there in Arizona asked the court to immediately reinstate and enjoin state law restricting certain abortions. That law would prohibit abortion providers from performing an abortion if the provider knows that, quote, the abortion is sought solely because of genetic abnormality of the child. Although it does not include, although it does include an exception if the fetus has a condition that will prove fatal within three months of birth. Now, now remember what we talked about last week. Prenatal testing, many of those, uh, the ones that we talked about last week, are wrong 90% of the time. And so any law that says it does include an exception if the fetus has a condition that will prove fatal within three months of birth, well, what is what testing are they using to determine that? You see what I'm saying there? All the testing seems to be hogwash and, and wrong most of the time, unless you get much uh, a second opinion, and, and that costs thousands of dollars. So I'm all I'm, I'm going to be skeptical of laws that say this because well, what testing are you are you using? This article goes further. The case is Brnovich versus Isaacson, and it remains pending before the justices. Though one conservative appeals court did uphold a similar Ohio law, most courts to consider laws banning abortions if the state disagrees with the reason for the abortion have been blocked by lower courts, and there is a very strong argument that these laws violate Casey. A Supreme Court decision reinstating the Arizona law, in other words, would be another loud signal from the justices that Casey is in its final days. Just as significantly, if the attorney general there in Arizona succeeds in his bid to reinstate Arizona's law, he's likely to open the floodgates to other Republican officials who re wish to reinstate other anti-abortion laws. Of course, that's how uh, the courts work. A decision reinstating the Arizona law would be an announcement that the Supreme Court is open to similar requests to lift existing court orders protecting the right to an abortion. And it would send a clear signal to anti-abortion judges in the lower courts that they are free to start lifting such court orders as well. According to the Guttmacher Institute, state lawmakers enacted 108 abortion restrictions in 2021 alone. 
Eight states still retain abortion bans from before 1973 when Roe was handed down, and several others have laws on the books that effectively ban all or most abortions. So if the courts start allowing these sort of laws to take effect, the impact on abortion rights could be swift and profound. Given that a decision in Dobbs is at most months away, the long-term impact of an anti-abortion ruling in Isaacson is likely to be minimal. Once Roe is overruled or gutted completely, the process of unwinding court orders blocking anti-abortion laws will happen anyway. But at the very least, the Isaacson case could have a profound impact on anyone seeking an abortion in the first half of 2022. There are several very strong arguments that the Arizona law is unconstitutional under existing precedents. First of all, Casey held that a state may not prohibit any woman from making the ultimate decision to terminate her pregnancy before viability, where viability refers to the moment when a fetus is capable of living outside of the womb. Here's the interesting thing. In 1992, the ability for a fetus to live outside the womb was much different than 2022. Do you understand that? So, so when we have court orders, when we have court decisions that say, or that are based on science and technology at that time of that order, it is nonsense to say that that continues on even in 2022 when we have so many more advances. I talked on this show just a few weeks ago about a lady in Alabama that had a baby very, very early. I think it was, it was between 20 and 23 weeks. So viability has changed. Viability no longer looks like it looked like in 1992. Ultrasound technology no longer looks like what it looked like in 1992. I mean, we had laws in the books at one time about horse and buggies. Well, guess what? When cars came along, we had to change things. And now we have cars that drive themselves. So we had to change things because of the advancement of technology. Yet we're not going to do that when it comes to life in the womb? Give me a break. So, so as we look at the, the 1992 Casey that, that, that continued Roe and talked about viability, it would be crazy to say that in 2022 viability looks the same because it just doesn't. It doesn't. The article continues, as the United States Court of Appeals for the Seventh Circuit noted in an opinion striking down an Indiana law that is similar to Arizona's, Casey's holding that a woman has the right to terminate her pregnancy prior to viability is categorical. Casey says that the state may not prohibit any woman from terminating a pregnancy prior to viability. That includes people who wish to terminate their pregnancy for reasons that the state disapproves of. For what it's worth, the Sixth Circuit, which is the only circuit to uphold in Arizona-style law, rejected the Seventh Circuit's reasoning on the theory that these kinds of laws do not actually prohibit anyone from getting an abortion. Recall that Arizona's law only prohibits providers from performing an abortion if they know that their patient is doing so for an impermissible reason. The Sixth Circuit claimed that this requirement that a doctor know their patient's motive places such laws outside of Casey's categorical rule because a patient could still obtain an abortion from a doctor who is ignorant of the patient's motives. But even if a judge accepts such... uh, such ideas, Arizona law runs into a second problem. Casey doesn't just prohibit pre-viability abortion bans. It also prohibits any abortion law that, quote, has the purpose or effect of placing a substantial obstacle in the path of a woman seeking an abortion of a non-viable fetus, end quote. 
It's hard to imagine a legitimate purpose that is a purpose other than placing obstacles in front of people seeking abortions to a law that permits abortions, but only if the doctor doesn't know too much about their patient. The district court that struck down Arizona's law also gave a third reason why it's unconstitutional. As the Supreme Court held in United States versus Davis in 2019, excessively vague laws may be struck down if they fail to, quote, give ordinary people fair warning about what the law demands of them, end quote. And the district court pointed to several provisions of the Arizona law, which it concluded do not clear this bar. For example, the law, quote, does not offer workable guidance about which fetal conditions qualifies as genetic abnormality. In any event, the fact that the Sixth Circuit disagrees with several of its fellow circuits about whether Arizona-style laws are constitutional is a good reason for the Supreme Court to hear the Isaacson case eventually. The justices often hear cases where two or more federal appeal courts have reached different answers to the same legal question as the whole purpose of having a single Supreme Court at the apex of the judiciary is to ensure that federal law is uniform throughout the country. And the article continues. We'll continue that conversation when we come back, but the important thing to note is the first segment we talked about them giving bereavement to those that choose abortion. Then this article is talking about court rulings that outlaw abortion are unconstitutional because of viability, viability that was determined in 1992, not 2022. See the nonsense? We'll talk more when we come back. When I miss the light, the, the night is stolen. When I'm slamming off. So look, the, the reason why I wanted to point to the article over at Vox is because the abortion proponents go out of their way to uh, get themselves entangled in, in arguments where they argue one thing and then they, they find themselves also arguing the opposite mindset. So, so they argue that, that it's not a life in the womb. There's no lasting effects from abortion. And then they turn around and say, oh, yeah, we should have policies on the book that give bereavement to those that choose abortion. Well, well what, why? Why? They would also argue that the laws on the books should be for every state in the union. Except when it comes to the Second Amendment, what do you see? You see laws in, in Illinois and New York and, and other places, California, where it's much more difficult to get a firearm than it is in, say, Tennessee, Alabama, Georgia, and the like. Why? Because we have states for a reason. Federalism. It's a beautiful thing. So, so my desire is not that abortion would be legal in New York and illegal in Tennessee. No, my desire is that abortion would be unthinkable across the world. But if we can get to a place where abortion is illegal in Tennessee and legal in New York, which is where we will be if Roe is overturned, that is better than where we are today. That's incremental change. We've, we've seen this. So, so you have people say, well, I'm not for incremental change. I'm for... All in. I, I want all of it. Well, I get that. I want all of it, too. Uh, you know, if people will say things like, I'm an abolitionist. Uh, same. I'm with you. But even when you go back to slavery, incremental change was better than just keep on, keep on keeping on, right? So, so you want an incremental change. If that's the best you can do at the time, then we want incremental change. Of course, we wanted to see slavery ended. Of course we were abolitionists. Of course we want to get that out of here. But the leaders at the time were like, hey, if, if we can do it incrementally or get it all, like we need to do something. 
So when it comes to abortion, if, if I can see a law that bans abortion at 15 weeks, is that, is that the be-all, end-all? Is that where I want to end up? No. But do I support that? Absolutely. Am I a federalist? Do I believe that, that states have, have a right to, to rule their own state? Yes. So again, if Roe is overturned, if Roe is overturned, it goes back to the states. And so you notice that, that the abortion industry, abortion proponents, they're not upset at New York when New York passes a law that allows for abortion all the way through birth. They're not upset at New York when New York dehumanized the fetus in the womb and, and says that if a man kills a woman or a woman kills a woman and she's pregnant, they're only charged with one murder. You see, the abortion industry is not upset when Illinois dehumanizes a fetus in their own state constitution, changing precedent and going against everything we've always known. You see, the abortion industry is not upset when California says we're going to become an abortion sanctuary. We're going to fly people in. We're going to use our tax dollars to pay for their abortions. The abortion industry is not upset at that. When, when, when those states try to make abortion more attracting in, in those areas, more attractive in those areas, they're not upset at those states. But when you have states like Tennessee, Louisiana, Florida, that's seeking to, to make abortion more difficult, that are seeking to restrict abortion in their state lines, we're attacked and maligned. And, and when, when the abortion industry says that, that pro-lifers are anti-science, when, when liberals say that conservatives are anti-science, they, they neglect the fact that liberals are anti-science when it comes to life in the womb. They find themselves in a tough scenario, in a tough situation when a mom has a baby very early. 21, 22 weeks, and the baby survives. Well, because now that shows that viability looks different than it did in 1992, certainly different than it did in 1973. So are we celebrating science? Are we celebrating doctors that say, I can go in and, and perform surgery on a baby inside the womb to save its life? That, that yes, we do need to give pain medication and anesthesia to babies in the womb because they feel pain for this surgery. You see, science has advanced. Or like I said earlier, when, when a pregnant woman goes to a theme park, she can't ride rides. Not to protect her, but to protect the baby. Yet we live in a society that says it's not a baby. It isn't because these theme parks are are ultra-conservative pro-lifers? No. It is saying we want to protect life. Same reason why you see the signs that say, hey, if you have high blood pressure, you may not need to ride this ride. Because they want to protect life. And they don't want to get sued. Why would there be a lawsuit there if it's not a baby? You see, we have laws in the book that protect the most vulnerable. 
and the most vulnerable are those growing in the womb. And we should have laws on the book that protect them. Just last year, the year before, a, a lady was walking in East Tennessee. She was pregnant. She was hit by a car. I'm pretty sure the guy was either drunk or, or it was definitely negligent and was arrested. He was charged with multiple deaths. Why? Because everyone recognized this woman was pregnant and, had, and was going to have a baby. You see, that's rational. It's logical. Makes sense. And you have to twist yourself into a pretzel to argue anything else. The same folks that are saying they are for women's empowerment and for the advancement of women and for uh, feminism and all those things were the same people in New York saying, we need to dehumanize the baby. So if a woman is killed while she's pregnant, the person's only charged with one murder. How is that empowering women? If anything, that's empowering a crazy boyfriend. If anything, that's empowering a crazy person that doesn't want the baby. And so I'll just take care of it this way. And then if the mom lives, then I'll just be charged with assault, battery, but I won't be charged with the murder because the baby's not a human, so it doesn't matter. Yet they say, therefore, the advancement of women. It makes no sense. Sometimes I feel like we live in an upside-down world because guess what, folks? We do live in an upside-down world. You see, Jesus is about turning things right side up. Genesis 3 flipped everything on its head. Genesis 3 when sin entered the world, we have an upside-down world. Jesus comes in and starts turning things right-side-up. So, so marriage is broken. Jesus comes in and turns it right-side-up. So there are times where I'm just blown away at the willingness of some of these arguments that, that we find when it comes to abortion. I'm blown away at the, the fact that they would even voice them. Then I have to remember, oh, we live in a post-Genesis 3 world. We live in a broken world, an upside-down world, where people say, yeah, we need bereavement for choosing abortion, but abortion is not ending the life. Well, then how do you, how do you make that argument? How do you make that case? And they'll make it, and they'll, they'll say that I'm the crazy one. And that I'm living in the old days. When I would say the old days, when we didn't have ultrasound, when we didn't have science and technology, yeah, it would have probably been a lot easier to go, I don't know when life begins. All I know is, is nine months a baby's born. I don't know if it's a girl or a boy, if it's healthy or not. All I know is after nine months I have a baby. But, but I don't know when life necessarily begins because I can't see what's happening inside of me. Now, not only can we see what's happening inside, we, we can perform surgeries on the baby living inside. We, we, are, we are able to print selfies of the child in the womb now. Now there's no arguing that we don't know what's going on. We know what's going on. Study after study after study has shown us what's going on.
So, so people can get bent out of shape about this law or that law or this court case or that court case, but the reality is laws on the books should be put in place to protect life. Science has shown us, Scripture showed us a long time ago, but science has now shown us that there is life in the womb. So if that's the case, there should be laws protecting that life. Now that makes people uncomfortable. Well, because I don't want a child. Or I don't want a child with him. Or, you know, it depends on who it is. All, uh, look, the reality is, is it a life or not? If it is, then it deserves protection. Full stop. That's how we operate. That's how we should operate. I've said it before. In New Jersey, you cannot slaughter a pregnant cow because it's pregnant and it's got a baby inside of it. You can't slaughter it. They have laws on the books to protect that cow and its calf. Yet in New Jersey, if you want an abortion up to nine months, you can get one. Tell me where that makes sense. We'll be back. As we finish up today, look, hopefully, as I say always, hopefully today's conversation has been productive. Uh, look, th- there are times where where we should get uh, riled up and all been out of shape and, and all the like. But but I think what's going to um, what's going to win the day, what's going to win the the argument is rational and logical discussion. When we when we're all yelling at each other, no one's listening. At that point, it's all about winning or losing. No one's listening. No one's seeking to to really think through their positions. And I get it. I, I mean, for us, we're like, hey, it's a life. That's the end of it. We shouldn't have any more conversations. Yeah, I, I see that. But if we're willing to have these conversations and not yell at each other and just talk it through, we'll wind up at a much different place. Where life is valued. Where life is considered sacred. Where, where life is considered um, something worth protecting. I mean, we're at a weird place in culture where if, a, if you hear from a friend that they had a miscarriage, we're sad for them. We mourn with them. But, but in our society, if we hear from a friend that, that they had an abortion, we're supposed to celebrate and, and they're supposed to shout that and they're brave and, and all these things. I mean, how does that make sense? We've seen patients at, at Hope that, that wanted to have an abortion. They didn't want to be pregnant. And when they come in for their ultrasound, they find out they're having a miscarriage. They're not excited. Now, why not? They should be excited because they didn't want the baby to begin with. They're not excited, though, because that is a that means that there's no longer life in them. So even in that moment where they wanted an abortion and find out they had a miscarriage, there's a, 
Oh, so I'm not pregnant anymore. There's a finality to it. There, there's a, oh, it's over. You see, our actions and our language matter. And we should be consistent. You can't say that abortion should be legal, safe, legal, and rare and then create a hashtag saying shout your abortion. You can't say that no one wants an abortion. It just happens. And then tell people to shout their abortion. You can't say that that abortion should should happen seldom and that the abortion industry is really for less abortions and then have women standing on the step, steps of the Supreme Court taking abortion pills in celebration of the fact that they have a right to an abortion. You, you can't have both those things. It makes no sense. It's not rational. It's not logical. But again, an upside-down world, abortion isn't rational and logical. So any any argument in favor of it is going to then be irrational, illogical. And it's sad, and it, and it bothers me, and it frustrates me. And, and so as we have these conversations back and forth, we should be able to get to a place where we're saying, hey, let's be consistent with our language. Let's be consistent with our actions. But see, the abortion industry is struggling because it's hard to be consistent. When now more and more people are going... The, the abortion decision I made has wrecked my life. I still carry the weight of that. These aren't just Christians. These aren't, these aren't people that believe God created life. These are people that are just saying, I just know how I feel. And I'm broken. My life's a wreck because of that decision that was made. And so now the abortion industry is scrambling going, what do we do? What do we do? Because... Because she's saying that it bothers her. What do we do? Because we've been saying for years and years and years that it, there was no lasting effects. But, but she's saying it bothers her. Why did they fire Dr. Wynn from president of Planned Parenthood? Because she was willing to say, yeah, we don't want abortions. We're not a political organization. And, and, and we need to have less abortions. And abortion does, in fact, have lasting effects. She was willing to say the quiet part out loud. That's why they fired her. So as we have these conversations, be logical, be rational, be consistent. That's what ultimately will win the day. We'll talk to you next week.